0: This is Pandemic Buzz, a place where resilience practitioners gather to listen to insights from crisis management, business continuity, and crisis communications professionals. I'm your host, Devin Strumentis, a managing director at Witt O'Brien's, a firm solely dedicated to supporting clients to prepare, respond, and recover from devastating events. Throughout this series, you'll hear from subject matter experts from a variety of industries and geographies. The intent is to share insights and best practices that you can adopt during these unusual times, or at the very minimum, human elements that will further connect us as we adapt to new routines both at work and at home hey bob thanks for being a guest today on pandemic buzz
1: well thank you very much devin glad
0: to be here could you tell our listeners who you are your title and what your company does uh yep i'm bob cibic i've been
1: uh, in this industry for nearly 40 years now i'm currently uh, uh, Senior Vice President at Fusion Risk Management. I'm one of the four founders of the organization, and the organization just celebrated its 14th anniversary 12 days ago. So, been doing this for a few years. Uh, Fusion delivers uh, solutions that enable companies to better manage their risk and their business continuity, and and on a broader context, operational resilience throughout the organization. And uh, we've been proud to say we're proud to say we've been doing this for, as I mentioned, nearly 14 years.
0: Yeah. Congratulations on the anniversary. That's a great milestone. So let's get into sharing of the insights. Language and definitions are incredibly important for resilience practitioners, as you know. However, in my experience, they're oftentimes intermixed as they're used across the company. With that in mind, have your customers classified the pandemic as a crisis or are they treating it uh, as a business continuity exercise and initiative?
1: In almost all cases, they're looking at this as a crisis because it is game changing to them. This is way beyond anything that they ever envisioned with respect to business continuity. It's It exceeds any of the assumptions that have been made when doing traditional business continuity planning. Where we often considered this to be most likely a singular disruption to our organization with singular impact to one aspect of the way we operate. And uh, we always presumed that we'd have a much more normal return to what we were doing in the past with uh, probably a limited period of disruption. None of those have proven to be true in this case. It's been impactful against all the four major disruption categories. Our supply chains have been disrupted. Our operations have been disrupted from a location perspective and from a workforce perspective in a lot of different ways. And finally, our IT systems have been challenged to deliver something that had never been conceived where people would be working from home for an extended period of time. And we, everyone has determined that they're not going back to normal. But I think the one thing that exceeds anything we ever really considered as part of business continuity is is the personnel and how that would be managed. We often thought of the workforce as being relocated, working under normal conditions and returning to the workplace at some point in time. The biggest challenge with the personnel aspect of it is that many people are struggling with both physical and mental health relative to this situation. There's concern, there's fear, there's uncertainty, and, and that makes it even more challenging for people to operate. And when it comes to restarting, there's a whole list of new strategies being discussed to uh, how the new normal is going to look and then how we're going to return to that new normal at some point in time.
0: Yeah, no, that's interesting. Comments blending both the technical and the humanistic side. So, along those lines, do you think uh, people in your own company as well as your customers felt like they were prepared for an event like this, either due to like prior training or exercises or maybe prior experiences? And if you feel strongly one way that they were prepared, you know what what items can you call out that led to that feeling for your customers or your own your own team?
1: Well, I think since many of the practitioners that we deal with have Significant experience and and many years uh, in this field. Uh, Many thought they were prepared, having gone through some of the other epidemics that predated this one, things like SARS or H1N1, um, MERS, and a few others, but uh, quickly learned that none of those experiences prepared them. And unfortunately, they also soon realized that a lot of those plants really hadn't been maintained over the years. So, in, in reality, the majority were not prepared. Uh, and really the reason for that is because they had not anticipated a scenario like this. It, it's, it's reasonable to, to state that no one really anticipated this scenario. As a result, because the event that we're facing today uh, demands much more integration with external parties and integrated testing with external parties and and all those capabilities are still in their infancy, there probably was no way we could have been prepared. And as we look at it and we look back at this, I think we can say that many discovered that they were less prepared than they thought because they were anticipating a more structured or predictable kind of situation. And the dynamics of this situation really called into question the ability to to logically follow a particular course of action. Uh, Things were changing rapidly on a daily basis and how you had to respond and when you had to respond was not something that could have easily been documented and practiced and you could have really trained for. This was really one event that demanded a lot of awareness and sort of action and reaction to the circumstances that you were encountering.
0: As you stated, the the dynamics of it all, does it call to mind any unique corporate or cultural attributes that have made companies more effective during this response? From what we've seen,
1: the two attributes that have distinguished companies from those that were less successful, those that, in other words, were more successful at this, were those organizations that had a bias toward frequent communication with their shareholders, their stakeholders, their employees, anybody that was important to them. And those organizations that enabled social activities for their employees. Sounds interesting, but the organizations that valued their employees and really fostered a culture of working together and in some ways you could say playing together, but experiencing each other together seemed to do a little bit better job because they ended up creating support groups for the employees that suddenly found themselves isolated and didn't have either their normal social interaction with their friends and then their normal social interaction with their peers. So as a result, those organizations found themselves to be performing a bit better than, than those people that were struggling from the perspective of not being aware of what's going on within the organization, not being aware of what they should be doing, and not having that support group to help them through getting things done
0: has there been a decision or decisions that the crisis has forced you into that you never in a million years thought you would make or that your clients never thought they would make? Well, I think the
1: biggest thing that was never contemplated, the the decisions that are being made today that we never imagined over the years that I've been in the industry is the need to create or enable frequent virtual social activities for our employees. We have a young workforce and many of our employees had active social lives. And they also require that interaction with their peers. And now that they've had to self-isolate, that is not something that can be done quite easily. Consequently, we've had to provide some form of interaction and some form of social activity to really help them deal with the isolation and some of the depression that might go with that. The interesting thing that we notice with a lot of our clients and even with our own organization is that for many of them, what they did was they they began to not step away from their work. And we saw an uptick in productivity. While people would always argue that an uptick in productivity is good for an organization, the underlying driving, driver of that productivity increase was, in fact, not healthy for our employees. And so to attempt to get them to work better and feel better about themselves, we've instituted some additional downtime and are monitoring that closely to ensure that they take that time. And we've put in place a number of social events like concerts, online concerts, where they can participate through a webinar and, and request music and other social activities on a weekly basis to uh, get them to do something besides just work and have that social interaction they need. So I never thought I'd see them see us actively trying to decrease productivity as an offshoot of this.
0: You know, getting into the topic of site readiness, and you talked a little bit about the humanistic elements of creating that confidence to return to work. What other physical or behavioral changes do you think are going to need to be made in terms of like an office environment or an office setting uh, to welcome staff back?
1: Well, I think everybody's aware of the fact that there will be significant changes to the work Place to bring people back. Uh, whereas in the past, densification was the trend to further enable collaboration and, and working together in pods and things of that nature, I think you're, it's going to be replaced by a move towards de densification. And where, where physical distancing isn't easily achieved, uh, you're going to start to see protectors installed or other types of glass or plastic or something to separate employees more. So the environment will change. But the bigger or most important aspect of changing the environment is to deliver or provide confidence to the employees that they are moving into a safe environment. So there's new protocols being developed for sanitizing the workplace and around personal hygiene, including making hand sanitizer more readily available. Um, Employees will be made aware of the cleaning that will be done on a nightly basis and and both the type and how frequently their areas will be cleaned as well. And of course, we'll still have to maintain some physical distancing and put some guidelines around human contact. And, and if you really want to, uh, you won't be handshaking people, but I have noticed there's the elbow contact that some people are employing or other forms of at least acknowledging people's presence.
0: Once the physical aspects of the office are prepared for return, are business leaders and managers prepared to phase people back in? And from what you're seeing, what factors are being used to make those determinations?
1: So... provide a little context to that, there's some interesting data that's been provided by the U.S. Census Bureau and a few other studies out there, one of which is that roughly 5.2% of the workers in the U.S. work from home in 2017, or roughly 8 million people, which is significantly up from 2000 and and continues to show a a trend since then. In a a recent study conducted by Citrix, they also reported that 62% of employees said they, they could work remotely, Uh, And an OWL lab study found that up to 80% of employees want to work from home at least some of the time, uh, whereas it's currently about 40% that are working from home occasionally. Um, This sounds great, but this means organizations will need to provide more technology to enable better interaction when working from home and, and must create new productivity metrics for measuring employee effectiveness and efficiency. Uh, so most organizations are first reconsidering how many people they actually want or need at the workplace. That's redefining what was once a tradition of you know work being a place. Now it's really looked at as work as a process, not just a place. Uh, With respect to the repopulation of that workplace, most organizations that we've been working with are considering limiting the number of people in their facilities at any one time. So they are planning on staggering groups of employees. Most are targeting a 50% approach on either alternating days or alternating weeks. They want to maintain separation from the different populations so that if any one particular group does come down with the virus, they don't infect any other employees, or at least that can be kept to a minimal. Priority will be given to those employees whose jobs cannot be performed effectively from home. And for most organizations, there's a handful of people that they can identify and suggest, but we're not aware of anybody that's forcing people to return to work until they feel it's safe. As far as really managing that, that seems to be the biggest problem. The ability to manage the occupancy and really plan that occupancy. A lot of organizations with very large workforces are finding that they want their employees to self-manage, and they're looking for ways to enable employees, once they've been designated to a group or to a day, to reserve available workspace on those days when they are expected to be in the workplace. Doesn't sound like it would be that difficult. Sounds like a simple reservation system, but... Uh, What we're finding is there aren't a lot of good tools to do that. And so that may actually be the greatest challenge to getting people back to the workplace in a safe and effective way.
0: Yeah, we've talked about getting the the space ready. And then we kind of explored filling that space with staff. But in general, as we're experiencing this first in a generation pandemic, how do you think your company and your customers are going to change in general how they conduct business going forward? And that's anything from like receiving guests to travel to policies on third parties interacting with internal groups. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, we've found that no matter how much we attempt to do a lot of business via web conference, and we've been heavy web conference users in delivering our service, but you still can't avoid physical interaction at times. The ability to really ensure that we're resonating effectively with our customers is important to us, and it's important to them in terms of understanding what we have to offer them and to deliver to them. So while we anticipate that there will be some reduction in that, The face-to-face type meetings. We will continue to look for ways to enrich the experience that we enjoy when we do meet with our customers, when we do work with our customers, and when they work with their customers. So we're going to have to start thinking about new technologies and new ways to enrich the customer experience. There was an interesting study recently released on advertising where in the past, people didn't want to be burdened with a lot of information. Now, apparently, they seem to Enjoy that much more, probably because they have more time to investigate products more uh, and to learn more about products. We're also going to have to figure out other ways to give them uh, better experiences, and that may come from some of the uh, virtual reality capabilities that you find in the gaming world. So, uh, experience is still going to be key. That's uh, you know kind of the hallmark of doing business with most organizations that that service business to business or business to consumer type of products and services.
0: Looking at uh, shifts in mindset, is there anything that was extraordinarily important to you before this happened that's no longer important to you at all? And this is from like a personal or even professional perspective.
1: Well, I think there's a, there was an enlightenment that occurred in this and that for years, the focus in the industry and, and what we've all been thought was important was that we wanted to recover the process Uh, What really matters is the outcome of that process, uh, which is to say it's no longer about recovering the process. It's about delivering the outcome to the customers, whether they're internal or external. Consequently, the reality sets in that the workforce shouldn't only be trained on the process and how to reconstitute that process if they have to do it from a different location, but they must possess the knowledge to understand why the outcome matters. And that enables them to be somewhat more creative in achieving that outcome, but it makes everybody a bit better. It makes the workforce more agile and the organization much more resilient because the focus is on the outcome. It's not just upon doing the process and when obstructed, pausing and not delivering
0: working from home for extended periods with little to no variance in routine, And I think that's the caveat that captures this kind of sentiment for those that have always worked from home and those that are used to working in an office. But basically, working from home with little to no variance in routine, teen, uh, I'm saying can put people in pretty introspective places. Have you discovered anything about yourself during this time or something that you may have forgotten?
1: Well, I'd, I'd go with the forgotten theme a bit. And that's a that over the years, I think I've forgotten that the human spirit is a fragile thing and and people who would look to me more for just direction on how to get something done now needed support and inspiration under these circumstances. I found myself focusing more on giving people the emotional support and the confidence that they could achieve something. Then it wasn't just about imparting the knowledge on how to get it done, but it was really that you can get it done and we can together ensure that it will get done. It's something that I think early on or at certain points in my career as a leader, that was important to start a business or to develop people. But over the years, it's been it's something that has been lost a bit because when you get to a larger organization, it's a lot about the process and it's about giving direction. And it's not necessarily about the supportive aspects of being a manager and an effective manager. So it's sort of like been a reminder It's not just about the process, again, to reiterate a theme from before.
0: I think from a macro level perspective, the world's watching to see if we're moving into a new normal where there could very well be a flu season, a pneumonia season, even a coronavirus season, maybe even sometimes simultaneously. If you're following this hypothetical, what would you want to incorporate into future planning for crisis or even rather pandemics?
1: It's something that's top of mind for a lot of people because they do realize that there's a confluence of different types of potential disruptive events that could be occurring as we get into the fall, including things like hurricanes and other disruptive events as well. The, the biggest changes that we're seeing is how they contemplate what it means to be prepared they're placing less emphasis on planning and more emphasis on becoming more resilient throughout their organizations and their ecosystem which is to say they're considering their third and fourth and you know even maybe fifth parties to understand really if something breaks what will break further down the line and when will it break within their own operations so they're trying to to understand a lot more about everything around them, not just within their organization. They're focusing on the data and and its currency and its accuracy and how to make the data create actionable information. They've learned through this that there's no way they could contemplate uh, every single possibility of any particular scenario. So they're trying to enable themselves to become much more responsive in a much quicker way. Predictive capabilities have become important Analytics have become important, and situational awareness is huge. They want to integrate more with threat monitoring tools or enable other parties within their ecosystem to supply information about current status and current uh, capabilities. And finally, I think they are actually de-emphasizing the creation of scenario-based plans in favor of consequence-oriented plans. In other words, if I get disrupted in certain ways, what's the guidance or the guide, what are the guidelines for responding to this? They're not looking for highly prescriptive plans, but instead they're looking for some form of guidance in terms of the information they need and the decisions they need to make using that information and things that will help guide them through these crises if they emerge again, and the complexities that will emerge as a part of a potential confluence of multiple different disruptive events.
0: Last question, last insights to share with our listeners. Down the road, what is it that you will tell your kids or grandkids or even the next generation about this experience as they enter the workforce, as they become adults? Really, you know, what learnings will you impart to them?
1: Well, the first thing would be prepare for anything. There is no such thing as a known or a a known type of event that you could prepare for. So you, you have to ensure that you're always thinking about Everything going wrong. And that's not to be pessimistic, but that's to say that there is no one thing that you can basically say won't ever happen. But that said, optimistically, and the way I like to look at it is this has taught us then we that we could overcome just about anything. I I don't know of any event, at least not in my generation, that has been so life-changing for so many different people. And getting through it means you have to have the confidence in yourself and the belief that you'll be able to overcome these obstacles. Uh, In a conversation I had with one of our customers recently, they were asking if I had seen anything like this and what would I liken it to? And I guess I'd have to go all the way back to World War II where something disrupted the entire world the way this has and has challenged us in so many different ways to be creative and to overcome what, you know, Uh, the situation and and achieve what we needed to achieve and and get it done so it's it's one of those things that hopefully for the people who are listening uh, we'll all have an opportunity to look back and be happy with the outcomes that were achieved and the results that we we had
0: bob thanks for filling this episode with such great content and i really appreciate you being a guest on pandemic buzz you're most welcome Thanks again for listening to Pandemic Buzz. Please like and share this podcast with your colleagues and be sure to catch our next episode.